Bogwan, folks. What's going on? Hallelujah. It's your old chuckle buddy. Guess who? Jonathan James Ramcharan. Reporting live for duty on this magnificent <clears throat> June 6th in the year of our Lord, 2020. Welcome and bienvenue to Jonathan Ramcharan, the podcast. How you doing, folks? Glad to be here with you. Thank you very much for tuning in. If you're new to the show, Jonathan Ramtran, the podcast, this is a show where I speak about myself in order to relate to y'all self, y'all the dear listener, y'all the dear viewer. Shared experiences, kindred souls, BFFs, best friends forever. You know, I'm going to wine and dine you. I'm going to, you know, you know, roll out that red... <laughs> Roll out that red carpet to your heart, folks. You know, we're going to walk the catwalk. And the reason why this is so important is because, you know, I find in life, it can all come down to a matter of perspective, you know? So, you know, it's it's all about that relatability, that connectivity, you know? Um you don't have to 100% understand a person as long as you can relate to them. If you can get down to that fundamental, okay, well, at the building blocks of it all, we're humans, you know? So it's that relatability, understanding through relatability, you know? That way, you know, there isn't all this, you know, misogyny against women, violence against women. Violence against, you know, transgendered, uh, gay, lesbian community. Um, that way there's no, you know, no violence towards, you know, obviously the black community. Right? You know, get the fuck up off my neck. Can I breathe? You know? Heavy subject matter, folks. That's what's going on. Pandemic 2020. Anti-black, anti-racism protests sparked all around the world due to the killing of George Floyd, a black man taken into police custody and having his neck wrenched down upon on the pavement, you know, Got some cop with his knee on his neck until he died. I can't breathe. He exclaimed in the last few minutes of his death. So anyway, you know, heavy subject matter, but you know, um, we have to be people of our times. We have to confront our times and um, learn and grow from them, you know? Now, some of the basic maybe buzzwords, the rhetoric during protest is always, you know, peaceful protest and we must have talk and we must have discourse peaceful discourse and discussion, debate, policy, legislation, rights. Yo, sometimes action feels better than um, inaction, you know, to take it to a motherfucker, right? That's what um, protects the majority of people in, in society is that basic civility that we... That we show each other, right? Like I'm a 33-year-old grown-ass man. I can't tell you how many times in a week living in a big city, Toronto, Canada, that I come up against some sort of ignorance from a motherfucker. They're either running their mouth, running their yap at me. And it's just like, yo, you thank the gods that we live in a democracy because if this was just the law of the land, This was the Wild West. I fucking put a cap in your ass. Now I'm talking out of turn, you know. <laughs> I don't own a gun. But, like, 
I'd slap the taste out of bitch's mouth, you know? A male bitch, a female bitch, any bitch who gets in my face, I'd slap the shit out of them if it weren't for democracy. Civility, right? So discussion is very important. It really is, you know? And um, it doesn't feel good in the short term, but long term, that's where it has its value, right? Sometimes it feels like you're losing the battle, you know, when you restrain yourself, you restrain your urges, you know. A lot of people are feeling hurt due to this anti-black racism. They're taken to the streets. Um, As of today, June 6th, 2020, it has largely been peaceable. Um, Something like... uh, a grand total of like 12 deaths, but the numbers are still kind of skewed across America, I believe. I shouldn't even really be throwing out those statistics. It's just, it's too early to know, but for the vast, for the vast majority and for the greater experience, it's been peaceful, right? So, you know, that's good and it's, it's tapering down. Um, I believe two days ago was the uh, memorial for George Floyd, Minneapolis, Minnesota, you know, George Floyd. There was the memorial. Um, A lot of politicians, leaders, celebrities came out in attendance to show their support. And it's like, while there are while there is all this upheaval with the protests, you do got the love of like, for example, the George Floyd's family. You know, George Floyd's family from the beginning, they were advocating, please, peaceful protests, nonviolence, right? So that's very important. Talk nonviolence, right? And I understand because it's like, you know, it feels short, it feels good in the short term. In the short, short term, I mean, if y'all are, a, if you're a young black person out there, if you're a black person out there, and you're thinking about attending a protest and acting up, throwing a brick, attacking a cop or something like that, that relief you might feel from the pain that you're feeling, it can be very short-lived. You know, it could be simple as throwing a brick and then, you know, you're getting popped by a cop, you know? That's how short the short term can be. That's how short that relief can be when you turn violent, right? So that, that's not the answer, right? And I understand there are a lot of white protesters out there as well. A lot of um, multicultural people across the world touched by this situation, standing up with the black community, protesting. But come on, you know? <laughs> um what are the chances of, um, you know, a white protester getting shot at a fucking, um, well, it may have happened, but, you know, that's the whole point. It's this, it's this inequality, imbalance of um, just basic rights that these communities are fighting for, right? So long term, I believe the solution is more along the lines of, you know, Financial growth, you know, businesses, education, family structure. Working with all communities to benefit, right? Work with everybody. You know, anybody you connect with. Black or white, male or female, gay, transgender, bi, bisexual, lesbian, you know, dogs, you know. Some people work with dogs, you know, they, they train dogs. Like, you know, what's that fucker's name? Uh, I was going to say Kaiser Sose. <laughs> Kaiser Sose. What's that fucker's name? Whatever. You know, that the dog whisperer, that weirdo Mexican dude who like uh, trains dogs and stuff. You know, you can even work with dogs as long as you're working to move forward. Right. Doesn't matter what you work with or who you work with. As long as, you know, you're finding your people. Right. But in terms of like uh, 
a solution in terms of like anti-racism or like, you know, oh, I'm going to, um, I'm going to try to, you know, oh, I'm going to stop your outlook, you know, or, oh, no, like, for example, perfect example, Sierra, you know, the singer, Sierra, um, she posted something on Twitter. I saw it briefly. It was like, I guess people were doing, there was like a lot of people in the white community doing um, the the George Floyd challenge where it's like they take a, a real disgusting picture of like themselves with their knee on like somebody's neck, like a friend's neck. You know, it's the George Floyd challenge and you take a picture of yourself with your knee on somebody's neck, right? And both people in the picture are smiling and laughing it up for the camera. And Sierra, Sierra, God bless her, you know, she was affected by it and she threw out a tweet. Stop this immediately. This is not funny. You know, don't. You know, da-da-da-da-da. I understand that. She's upset. That's cool. But my point of view is like, I'm not trying to reform a racist. If you're racist, go ahead. Be racist. But, you know, just make sure it's out in the open and you can be left in the dust. Because any rational, decent person has respect. Any decent, rational person understands we're all human. We're all in this together. Born into this. We are born into this world. We don't come to this world like a drive through dinner theater, you know, take the menu, peruse it. Hmm, I'm going to be, you know, six foot tall, white CEO, male, obviously. Um, Diddly do, diddly. No. Born into this. So any decent, rational person would have that human connectivity. So I'm not looking to reform a racist. I say leave them in the dust. Just as long as it's out in the open, that's fine. Go ahead, post your little fucking... George Floyd challenge pics. Put them on Instagram. I don't care. You know, go live in your world of misery with other losers just like you. Because I think most people, I think fundamentally, we all want to live and let live. But the human ego, the the human mind, the legacy of hurt and abuse, spin propaganda, you know, shrouded facts, the hiding of the truth, lies, all that affects the way in which we relate in this topsy-turvy world, you know? Hey, let's get into um, the cases, you know? There's been several cases um, during this pandemic and, you know, gone but not forgotten, you know, this is now etched in history. This is a part of history. Pandemic 2020, there is going to be a chapter about anti-black, anti-racism protests. These unnecessary killings, this moment where All people and all races, you know, um, all sexuality, all expression, all peoples can come together and stand for, you know, a step towards equality and, you know, real change. If the pandemic is not bringing out, if the pandemic is bringing out one thing in the human mind, it should be change. Change of the okey-doke. Change of the, um, well, that's the way it is. Change of the nine to five. Change of the humdrum, humpty-doo, huddly-doo. That's just the way it goes, buddy. Those are the breaks. That's the roll of the dice. Like, we can change this world for the better. I hope that's in the minds of people during pandemic. So let's get into um, the case-by-case basis here. So let's begin with um, the one that kind of started it all, 
the one real, I mean, they're all important, obviously, but the one that kind of, you know, really sparked up during pandemic was, um, and these, and um, I got this information from Wikipedia. This is um, the shooting of Ahmad Arbery. On February 23rd, 2020, Ahmad Marquez Arbery, an unarmed 25-year-old African-American man, was fatally shot near Brunswick in Glynn County, Georgia, while jogging on Holmes Road just before the intersection with Satilla Drive in the Satilla Shores neighborhood. Arbery had been pursued and confronted by two white residents, Travis McMichael and his father Gregory, who were armed and driving a pickup truck. The event was recorded on video by a third Satilla Shores resident, William Roddy Bryan, who also followed Arbery in a second vehicle. The death and the events following the investigation have sparked debates about the lack of racial equality and have been reported internationally. The Glynn County Police Department, GCPD, the Glynn County Police Department said the Brunswick District Attorney's Office advised them on February 23rd to make no arrests, while the Brunswick District Attorney's Office denied that such advice was given to the GCPD by either the Brunswick District Attorney or her assistant district attorneys. On February 24th, Waycross Judicial Circuit District Attorney George Barnhill, who had been yet who had not yet been assigned to the case, advised the GCPD, Glynn County Police Department, advised the GCPD that no arrests should be made. Barnhill officially took over the case on February 27th. On April 2nd, Barnhill again advised the GCPD to make no arrests while announcing his intention to recuse from the case due to connections between Gregory McMichael and Barnhill's son. Barnhill requested recusal on April 7th. Atlantic Judicial Circuit District Attorney Tom Durden was appointed to the case on April 13th. At the behest of Michael, at the behest of Gregory McMichael, a local attorney provided a copy of the video of the shooting to local radio station WGIG, who posted it to their website on May 5th. The video went viral, having also been posted on YouTube and Twitter. Within hours, Durden said a grand jury would decide whether charges would be brought and accepted an offer from Governor Brian Kemp to have the Georgia Bureau of Investigation, GBI, Georgia Bureau of Investigation, investigation, investigate the case. On May 7th, the GBI arrested the McMichaels and charged them with felony murder and aggravated assault. On May 21st, Brian was arrested and charged with felony murder and attempted false imprisonment. On June 4th, you know, two days ago, June 4th, additional evidence was presented by the prosecutor to support the murder charges, including a statement by the GBI, Georgia Bureau of Investigation, by William Bryan that Travis McMichael said fucking nigger while standing over Arbery's body. The alleged use of a racial slur could factor into a federal investigation looking into whether or not hate crime charges will be brought. The fact that the McMichaels were not arrested until 74 days later, after the video went viral, sparked debates on racial profiling in America. Numerous religious leaders and politicians, athletes, and other celebrities condemned the incident. The GCPD, Glynn County Police Department, the GCPD, and the Brunswick District Attorney's Office were nationally criticized for their handling of the case and the delayed arrests. Georgia Attorney General Christopher M. Carr formally requested the intervention of the FBI in the case on May 10th, which the FBI granted the following day. 
Yeah, so some trigger happy, uh, you know, father and son, father and son, a trigger happy father and son, and their miscreant weirdo friend, basically rolled up on a twenty-five year old unarmed black man going for a jog, going for a jog, a mod arbery, and uh, shot him to death, and due to some of this new um, information, stood over his dead body and exclaimed, fucking nigger. Yeah. And, you know, a little sweaty here. Um, some of uh, the outrage and outcry from this case was the, um, the delay Injustice, you know, the fact that the McMichaels were not arrested until 74 days later after the video went viral sparked debates on racial profiling in America. It did. People were, you know, a lot of people were talking about that. Like, wow, what a miscarriage of justice. What a what an ugly example of anti-black racism, you know. What an ugly example of just, you know, racial profiling, you know. A black man going for a jog, he must be up to no good. Why else would he be running? He obviously raped or killed somebody. You know, like, he's a thief, look at him run. You know? So that's the, the first one during pandemic. The killing of Ahmad Arbery. That sparked um, the fire that lit, that, you know, kind of sparked the fire to this whole protest season during pandemic, you know? Um, another incident, another tragic incident. This is also from Wikipedia, this information. The shooting of Brianna Taylor. On March 13th, 2020, Brianna Taylor, a 26-year-old African-American woman, was shot and killed by Louisville Metro Police Department, LMPD, Louisville Metro Police Department officers. Sergeant Jonathan Mattingly, Detective Brett Hankinson, Hankinson, and Detective Miles Cosgrove, broke into her apartment in Louisville, Kentucky. Gunfire was exchanged between Taylor's boyfriend, Kenneth Walker, and LMPD officers who entered the apartment. The LMPD officers fired over 20 times. 20 shots. Taylor was shot eight times and Mattingly was injured by gunfire. Another police officer and an LMPD lieutenant were on the scene when the warrant was executed. The LMPD investigation was searching for two people who were already in police custody. You know, they're searching for people that they already had in custody. You know, great detective work. Elementary, my dear dumbass. You already have the suspects in custody. The LMPD investigation was searching for two people who were already in police custody and suspected of selling controlled substances from a drug house more than 10 miles away. 16 kilometers, 10 miles away. One of the people in the custody, Jermarcus Glover, had a prior relationship with Taylor. The search warrant included Taylor's resident because, residence because it was suspected of receiving drugs in the case and because a car registered to Taylor had been parked on several occasions in front of Glover's house. No drugs were found in the apartment. According to police, Walker fired first, injuring a law officer, law enforcement officer, and police returned fire. According to a wrongful death lawsuit filed against the police by the Taylor family's attorney, the officers entered the home without knocking or announcing that they were police officers, officers, without knocking or announcing that they were police officers, and allegedly opened fire with total disregard for the value of human life. Yes. 
So this young woman, Brianna Taylor, was in a relationship with a past drug uh, dealer, drug person of sorts. She was in a past relationship. They already had him in custody, but because of some um, blip in the judicial system, deadly dead, less stupid bureaucracy, these dummies swarm her apartment, bust in unannounced, you know? I mean, wouldn't that be... If, if, the, if the job of the police department is to serve and protect, um, you have to announce that you're serving and protecting. I mean, that's why they have police written on their vests. That's why they wear a uniform to identify themselves. And a big part of their job is identifying things. So isn't that a big misstep in logic when it's like, you are a police department um, to serve and protect and to identify potential dangers and, um, you know, missteps in the law, but yet you can't even identify what you are and what you do, you know? Hey, uh, by the way, police, we're coming in. We got guns. Oh, Okay. The police are entering my apartment with guns. Maybe I'll just peacefully surrender. No, they barge in unannounced. You know, they like a battering ram. Think about that. Think if you were laying in bed and all of a sudden, bang, 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 a battering ram and people coming through the door, you know. And Brianna Taylor's um, uh, partner, uh, something Walker, Pardon me, let me take a look at my notes here. Um, her partner, her partner, um, Walker, last name Walker, um, Kenneth Walker, Taylor's boyfriend, Kenneth Walker, you know, he was a licensed gun owner, you know, so he had a gun. Licensed, you know, lawful, you know, American citizen with his gun in his home. I believe that's the Second Amendment, is it? I'm not American, right? But he's got his gun registered. People banging through the front door unannounced, you know, feared for his life, feared for his, um, his partner's life, Breonna Taylor, takes fire. Then police indiscriminately shoot off 20 rounds of ammo. Shot her, tw shot her eight times dead yeah serve and protect you know so that was yet another ugly storyline in the whole pandemic rise of anti-racism protest you know and here's the spearhead of it all the culmination you know the killing of George Floyd. This is also from Wikipedia. On May 25th, 2020, George Floyd, a 46-year-old black man, died in a Minneapolis, Minneapolis, Minnesota, after Derek Chauvin, a white police officer, knelt on his neck for almost nine minutes while he had handcuffed, while he was handcuffed and face down in the street. Minneapolis, Minnesota. Keep me out of there, you know. Two other officers further restrained Floyd and a fourth officer prevented onlookers from intervening. During the final three minutes of Floyd's life, Floyd was motionless and had no pulse. Officers made no attempt to revive him and Chauvin's knee remained on his neck even as emergency medical technicians attempted to treat him. Yeah, it's kind of hard to perform CPR with a neck, with a knee lodged in your neck. You know, I'm not a fucking med medical technician, but um, it's kind of hard to do the Heimlich maneuver when, you know, you got a knee obstructing one's neck, you know. Officers made no attempt to revive him. 
Chauvin's knee remained on his neck even as emergency medical technicians attempted to treat him. Two, ops, two autopsies determined the manner of Floyd's death to be homicide. Floyd had been arrested on a suspicion of passing a counterfeit $20 bill at a nearby market. Several witnesses took videos of the incident, which were widely circulated and broadcast along the security camera footage from nearby businesses. Officers' body camera footage has not been released. A criminal complaint later filed against Chauvin stated that Floyd repeatedly said he could not breathe while standing outside a police car, resisted getting in the car, and intentionally fell down. He went to the ground face down, and after Chauvin placed his knee on Floyd's neck, Floyd repeatedly said, I can't breathe, mama, and please. Sounds like somebody um, fading in and out of consciousness. Sounds like somebody on the door of death, death's doorstep, crying for mom, mama. You know, the want and need to see you know, your loved ones in your final moments of life? No, let's keep your knee on his neck. Oh, an already restrained man. Alleged of what? Even if he did pass this $20 counterfeit bill, which um, is, you know, it could just be a red herring, you know, another fucking goose chase in the criminal system, you know? In this cover-up of, oh, no, there's no such thing as racism. No, no, no. It's all about a fucking counterfeit $20 bill. That's what happened. Um, all four officers were fired the day after the incident, and criminal charges were brought against them. Chauvin was charged with second-degree murder and second-degree manslaughter. The other three are charged with aiding and abetting second-degree murder. The FBI and the Minnesota Bureau of Criminal Apprehension are both investigating the incident. After Floyd's death, demonstrators, demonstrations, and protests against use of excessive force by police officers and a lack of police accountability were held globally. Protests in the Minneapolis-St. Paul had turned violent as a police precinct and two stores were burned and many stores were looted. Some demonstrators skirmished with police who fired tear gas and rubber bullets. Floyd's death has been compared to the death of Eric Garner, a black man who repeated, I can't breathe, you know? Is that our new catchphrase as a people? I can't breathe. That's a black man for you. Is that the new catchphrase? I can't breathe. Is that the new, um, you know, y'all know what I'm talking about? What you talking about, Willis? Uh, yo, I can't breathe. You know, is that going to be a good moment for you to take a knee and take a George Floyd selfie challenge? You know? I can't breathe. How ridiculous is that, you know? It's like, as a police officer to serve and protect. I can't breathe. You know, obviously police have a troubling job, right? They have to serve and protect. They're dealing with very dangerous, very um, illogical, very um, manipulative, conniving, you know, untruthful people on a daily basis, you know? There's, got, there's a lot of lies and deceit and straight-up BS bullshit that a cop has to deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. But when you're a police officer and you have your knee on somebody's neck for, like, what, eight-plus minutes and they're gasping, I can't breathe... That's probably one of those moments where your professional training should kick in and being like, you know what? The suspect is probably telling the truth. He probably can't breathe. All indication and evidence points to my knee is wedged in his neck. 
<sighs> Fucking disgusting. After Floyd's death, demonstrations and protests against the use of excessive force by police officers and a lack of police accountability were held globally. Protests in the Minneapolis-St. Paul had turned violent as police precincts and two stores were burned and many stores were looted, as I read. Um, yes. And yes, Eric Garner. George Floyd's death has been compared to the death of Eric Garner, a black man who repeated, I can't breathe, while in a fatal chokehold placed in a New York City police officer's custody in 2014. Yeah. <clears throat> and this has really been like, I guess, the tipping point where it sparked global um, outcry for justice and accountability and, you know, an abhorrence for the use of, you know, excessive violence by the police departments, you know, protection agencies around the world. And um, an equally important story but um, I've just been doing these stories chronologically. An equally important story, um, just a mere two days, a mere two days after the um, George Floyd incident happened here at home for me in Canada. Um, this is also from Wikipedia. The death of Regis Korczynski Paquette. The, de the death of Regis Korczynski Paquette, an indigenous black Canadian woman, occurred in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, on May 27, 2020. Her mother, Claudette Beals Clayton, called for police assistance after a domestic conflict with a request to take her daughter to the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. CAMH, C-A-M-H. So um, a call was made by her mother, Miss uh, Regis Korczynski-Paquette. Her mother, Claudette, called the police department after domestic conflict with a request to take her daughter to the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. While her mother and brother were in the hallway of their apartment building, police entered the 24th floor apartment after Korczynski Paquette, who went to use the bathroom. While her mother and brother were in the hallway of their apartment building, police entered the 24th floor apartment after Korczynski Paquette, Paquette, who went to use the bathroom. The family heard Korczynski Paquette cry for help, followed by quiet, and then the officers confirming that she had fallen off the balcony. Yeah. So, a young indigenous black Canadian woman, Regis Korczynski Paquette. There was a domestic dispute of some sort. Her mother called the... Uh, <clears throat> The uh, Toronto Police Service asked for a courtesy call and escort to um, the Center for Mental Health and Addiction, CAMH. Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. She goes in to use the washroom in the apartment. There's quiet, followed by the police um, explaining to the mother, Oh yeah, your daughter uh, fell off the balcony. And in some other versions I've read in different news article outlets, um, someone heard, I don't know who heard, it was either the brother or the mother, somebody heard uh, Miss Korczynski Paquette exclaim, Help! Mom! Help! Like, what's the point in sending a police officer and a a representative of our 
protection community, what's the point in sending them to a call for mental wellness check if they don't know how to handle a mental wellness check? How could it have escalated to that point? What really happened? Sounds kind of like a bonehead play. You think they would be able to be like, um, to serve and protect, to do their fucking job, you know? And again, um, you know, that's a tough call to attend to. I mean, I don't know what you do for a living. You know, I'm a performer myself, stand-up comedian, actor, you know, um, I'm not dealing with life and death situations every day, but, um, you know, I'm sure it's pretty troubling to have to, you know, go and deal with somebody in that state of mind. I mean, that's what the, the officers knew going in. Domestic dispute, state of mental uneasiness and unhealth. But I mean, they obviously failed to defuse the situation. If anything, they probably escalated it, obviously. Right? And the truth will come out. You know? It has to. Because um, there's no room for this type of error. This type of error. There's no room for it. You know what I mean? I'm sick of this mamby pamby. Oh, we were scared, so we shot. We didn't know what to do because we. Uh, well, stop fucking getting into this business of to serve and protect if you're not there to serve and protect. You know, a lot of these dickheads, they join the force just to be a part of the Sunshine Club. 60K plus a year. Minor celebrity, walk around in a uniform. Oh, the dashing man in uniform. Oh, the Tom girl who, despite the odds, rose to the rank of lieutenant. Oh, look at her in her fucking little fucking uniform. She's a real woman. Oh, the dashing young sergeant in his fucking officer apparel. A lot of these dickheads joined the force just to be a part of that sunshine club, 60K plus a year, you know, well-paid job, pension, obviously, you know, and then that minor celebrity and that power and control. I'm an officer. I drive my car around. I give speeding tickets. I'm pompous. I don't pay for coffee at Tim Hortons. All the dickhead shit, swarmy fuckery that these assholes do. And yes, it's a tough job, obviously. I mean, one of my favorite quotes, I don't have it. Um, maybe I should look it up. Um, this is a quote from Raymond Chandler. Mystery writer, detective writer. Um, Raymond Chandler, Chandler, you know, um, detective. Uh, what's it? What's his big detective? Uh, not Sam Spade. Uh, I forget the name of the dude. Fuck it. Raymond Chandler. Um, you know what, fuck it, I'm not going to remember it offhand, but I can give you the gist of it. Um, Raymond Chandler, famed um, detective writer, he had a quote to the effect of, you know, police work calls for the greatest parts of a person, but undoubtedly gets the worst. Something to that effect, it like... Think of how good of a person you'd have to be to be, a, to be an effective cop. It calls for the best of people, but it obviously shows the worst. You know? And they're dealing with the same fucking bullshit. Alcoholics, drug addicts, liars, abusers lawbreakers, criminals, like they're dealing with these type of people every day. And, you know, it's not, it's not hard to see how they can become cynical and jaded. And, you know, like my man Al Pacino said, come the wet ass hour. I'm everybody's daddy. Come the wet ass hour. They're everybody's daddy. 
You know, if you got to call the cops for help, you know, your daughter's been raped and abducted. You know, you got your ass kicked in a parking lot for your fucking cell phone. Like, who are you going to call come the wet ass hour? It calls for the best of a man and a woman. It calls for the best of a person to become a police officer. But yet it shows the worst sometimes. And how I feel about this whole situation is like, basically, you know, short-term action feels good, but long-term foresight sees results. Short-term, it feels good, you know? Smash a window, throw a brick, spit on a cop, you know? Violence, you know, but that can be a very short term thing because, you know, obviously we're talking about cop killings. You could become another statistic if you're a black person out there or, um, you know, uh, an ethnic person out there. You know, I mean, I would say a white person, but I mean, I don't know. Do the facts really show that? Do the numbers really show that? It's generally um, people of color who are treated differently in the eyes of the law. So if you are a person of color and you're out there and you're, you know, turning violent like that, it might feel good for a moment to throw a brick through a window, but it's a short-term solution. Long-term, it's action. Action in, you know, business, education, family, um, and linking up with like-minded people who want to move forward to a greater day. No matter the race, no matter the creed, no matter the sexuality. Just the best of the best linking up. You know? Humanity. Taking a sip of coffee, folks. You know, and what I mean by leaving people in the dust, you know, leaving those naysayers, leaving those obviously like racist type people in the dust. Like this is the double standard when we call white privilege. The other day I'm talking to a guy, um, just this guy I know. I see him around and he walks up, he walks up on me and he's just like, oh, hey, how's it going? Um, you know, I'm like, oh, hey, good. You know, we're, we're just kind of shooting the shit talking. And he goes, um, you know, you probably know more about this than I do. But, um, you know, a lot of stuff going on with, you know, all this anti-racism and just all this racism in general. And, you know, it's tough. Um, like, here's how I see it. Like, as a, as a, as a black person, it must feel like you're wearing really tight shoes and now you're told to like slavery was like wearing really tight shoes. And then all of a sudden you take off the tight shoes and now you're expected to just walk and perform normally in society, you know, and oh, all this anti-racism and, you know, like, for example, some of the racism that they're giving towards the Asian community during um, COVID-19. And, you know, it's like you got the wet markets in Wuhan. That's a part of their heritage. That's the way they live their life. That's their way of life. It's the same argument that the NRA, National Registry of Guns or whatever, that NRA, National Rifle Association, it's the same argument that they're making. That's their way of life. They want guns. They want uh, to be able to carry a firearm. Well, that's the wet market way in Wuhan. And I was like, okay, yeah, cool, man. You're making some points. That's cool. And, you know, I, I, I appreciate it. I appreciated the fact that this guy that I barely know would come up to me and, like, you know, want to talk to me and be positive, like, Sure, he's being positive. I mean, he's saying he's basically, he's all out for, he, he's basically saying equality. 
the right to be yourself. That's basically what he was saying. But he did it in a really fucked up manner. Did it in a really fucked up manner. Slavery was like wearing tight pairs of shoes. Is that what you just told me? And the way he started the conversation too, um, you probably know more about this than I do, but um, I think the black experience and like slavery, the black experience is much like wearing a tight pair of shoes. You're forced to wear a tight pair of shoes. And then when you're told to take them off, you don't know how to walk right. And you don't know how to be, you know, it, it doesn't feel right. And you're expected to perform a certain way. <laughs> it's like, you know, that's the pompous white privilege that people say doesn't exist. You probably, more, you probably know more about this than I do, but I'm going to tell you how it is to be black. Is that your fucking mind, dog? Is that what you just fucking told me? You know what it's like to be black? I'm just like looking at him, right? And, you know, it's that misunderstanding. You know, I mean, his heart was in the right place and I didn't take offense to it, but it was just like ridiculous, ridiculous. And it's like, you know, you maybe, I don't know if it's that you don't understand or that you don't want to understand, but you obviously don't understand. And you don't seem willing to listen. You just want to go and say your opinion. <laughs> and, you know, th that's an example of people that you can work with. You know, those are people that you can work with because, you know, their hearts are in the right place. And, you know, no one has the finality or the kibosh on a situation to say, this is what a situation is. But, I mean, for God's sakes, if you're going to talk about the black experience you might want to listen to a black person you know i mean let's take a look at history you know what a twisted fucking magic trick that um let's just call it they to stay as apolitical as possible um or as unbiased as possible what a crazy game that they have played the black man's a rapist. The black community are violent. The black people are mistrustful, thieves, criminals. You can't trust a black person. <gasps> Look out, a black man. <gasps> a black woman. <gasps> the black people, fear of black planet. <gasps> Hide your baby. Hide your wallet. <gasps> They're always after white women. <gasps> they have AIDS. They fucked monkeys. Okay, yeah, that's the sentiment. That's the anti-black sentiment. You know, people throwing bananas on soccer pitches, soccer fields, football fields. People throwing bananas at black players. All this racism, ug ugliness, prejudice created by they, the omnipotent they, um... Yeah, but where in history were black people the white man's aggressor? When did black people cage white people up in cages? When did we pen up white people in cages, go on white people lynching sprees, gang rape white women, um, steal, rob burn down white people communities when was the black man when was the black person the white man's aggressor show me that show me that in history and that's the fucking crazy magic trick that they have played upon us you know for whatever reason I don't know you know all I know is that you know short term anger Feels good to punch a motherfucker in the face, let them know where you're coming from. But hey, that can be as short term as, you know, getting yourself shot by a cop or ending up in some long, lengthy prison sentence where long term is the goal through education, family, um, business, things along those lines. Working with um, like minded, open hearted people, like I mentioned, that dummy there who told me that story about wearing tight shoes as a black man, as the black experience. Complete fucking dickhead, but, you know, his heart was in the right place. You can work with that, right? 
But the counter to that, when I mean by leaving these shitty people in the dust and not being offended if they want to post a George Floyd challenge, knee on the neck photo on their Facebook or whatever, like the type of people that you should just leave in the dust of ignorance, leave them to the dust of time. Like um, I have this friend, she has a young son. He's a biracial child, half black, half Filipino. It was like a, uh, it was his birthday and his mother made him cupcakes to bring to class. So he was all happy. He's like five or six years old, kindergarten or something. He brings these cupcakes to class. I don't remember what um, the mother said. There was another mother in the story, like a mother of one of the other children. So the mother of another, ch- of another child in um, my friend's son's class, she makes a comment, like some racial comment about black people. Some real, like, ugly it was something it could have been something as crazy as like like a welfare joke or like a big dick joke or a baboon monkey like it was something completely inappropriate for children like i'm not going to sit here and play semantics whether or not it is funny or not but definitely not for children like come on like it was something like baboonish or monkey or big dick or fucking you know some sort of racialized black joke that was just fucked to say to a bunch of kids right so the little boy whose birthday it was who brought the muffins he's standing there like what and my friend who is his mother was like what the fuck and all the kids were like what does that mean like what does that joke mean like what is that so then they had to explain the racial humor joke to these fucking kids. The, she like imprinted the mother of this other child, like imprinted this ugly racial stereotype upon these children. They didn't even know what the hell she was talking about. They're like, what? So then obviously my friend, she was very upset. She's like, oh my God, I can't believe this woman would say that about my child. I can't believe she would say that in front of all these other children. I want to do something. I want to... You know, I, I went, I talked to her. I said, what the hell? What, what, why would you do that? And she made a big deal about it. She's all like, it was just a joke. You're blowing it out of proportion. I feel like you're bullying me. Obviously, she was a white woman. I feel like you're bullying me and you blew it out of proportion. And, you know, I feel like you're bullying me. It was not a big deal. It's like, yeah, it was a big deal. You made a racial joke about my son's race on his birthday in front of his classmates completely inappropriate what's wrong with you right and you know and i'm a fucking comedian believe me (laughs) believe it or not i'm a comedian like i can't remember what the joke was but it was like wow like not for child consumption the type of shit that if you say it at at a nightclub people might start crying like adults it's definitely not a fucking child joke right very divisive type of racial humor. It was just fucked, right? So then she confronts the mother. She says her case, like, why'd you do that? The mother basically acted like she was the victim, right? She's the victim. She's being bullied. All she did was tell a little joke. It's no big deal, yada, 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 right? So now my friend's upset and she wants to know what to do. She says, she asks me, what should I do? I looked at it and I said, okay, well, you got two choices. First of all, you have to realize you're dealing with an unreasonable person. One of those people that should just be left in the dust. You know, she's obviously some sort of race, racial prejudice. I don't know what her thing is, but she obviously is a person who is unaware and insensitive to race probably unaware and insensitive to just children in general. She probably even shouldn't be a mother. Like, how could you make such hurtful jokes around children? It's not funny in the least, right? 
So she just sounds like a very unreasonable person. So here's your options. You either A, forget about it. Forget about it. You know that she is an unreasonable person and you just cut her out. You know, you don't even have to be cold or mean about it. Just whenever you see her, just hi and be on your way. Mm -hmm. Be on your way. You know she's a fucking bonehead and just she has proven herself to be someone who should be left in the dust. So just leave her in the dust. Okay, whatever. Keep your son away from her. Give her no time. Give her no energy. Just as far as you're concerned, you're done with her. And you don't have to make no big stink about it or like, you know, make it awkward. Just everything is just very to the point. Hi. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Oh, good. Good for you. All right. Have a nice weekend. Okay, bye. Because obviously the kids go to school together. You're going to see her from time to time. So you just whatever about it and you go on, go along your way. Or B, the second option, you go above her head. You got to go to the principal. You got to go to the teacher. You got to get a medi- a mediary, a mediator. You got to bring somebody in power into this situation and state your case because you were obviously wronged. And, you know, you can't reason with an unreasonable person. You know, if you... If, if somebody's going to be mean and spiteful and ugly and racist, to tell them, stop it, no, don't be racist, that doesn't fucking help. You got to bring it out into the light. You got to shame them in the light. You know, bring it to light. And my friend, she goes, oh, well, no, um, we'll, we'll see, I don't know. I, I, I think I'm going to try to talk to her. I'm like, look, she's unreasonable. She, she doesn't care about you or your feelings or your child's feelings. She's unreasonable. You're not going to get through to her. You either have to let her go as, a, as one of those people to be left in the dust or you have to go above her head. But to go talk to her, it's not going to work. She's unreasonable. What does my friend do? She goes and talks to the woman. She goes, you know, I just want to say that, you know, that whole thing that we were, went through the other day, like, I just like to get a little closure on it. Uh, you know, I just, you were very rude. You were rude to me. You were rude to my child. And, you know, it was hurtful. You know, you made a really ugly racist comment. What does the woman do? Oh, well, you know, um, again, I feel like I'm being bullied. I feel like I'm being bullied right now. And I feel really uncomfortable in this situation. You're coming at me this way, blah, 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 blah. I'm a victim. That's what I told you would happen. Hate to say it. Told you so. She's unreasonable. You know? They have to pay for their crimes and then discuss the crime. You can't discuss the crime with them because they don't want to pay for it. Make them pay, then discuss. So yes, discussion talk is always important. It's almost like uh, that's one of the buzzwords that you, we're seeing during this whole, um, you know, to give a moral to my story there. That's one of the whole um, buzz, kind of buzzwords and the, the yada, 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 you know, we need to talk and we need to have a dialogue. We need to get together and diddly dum, diddly do. It's just like, yo, that's cool, but that's almost like a no brainer. That's an obvious thing. Of course we have to talk. You know, we're, we live in a civilization. You know, aren't we men and women and transgendered people? Aren't we human versus animal? Right? Of course we have to talk. That's a, non, that's a, that's a given. Talk is always the appropriate action. But above that, there's got to be, you know, some real action, some real change. And you got to bring these things to light. You know what I mean? And that's what I mean about leaving these, you know, ugly type of people in the dust until proven otherwise. Maybe they have to go through a whole trial and tribulation of their own. Soul searching, rebuilding, 
therapy, whatever it has to take for them to get to a place of, um, you know, decency. But, um, I, you know, that's my advocacy. That's what I'm trying to say, you know. Talk is always, that's a non-brainer. I mean, we have to talk. We're civilized men and women, human beings, persons, you know, we're civilized. We have to talk. But above that, we need action. Things need to be brought into light. And, um, you know, through education, family, business. And, um, you know, and to anyone out there, you know, this thing may, as quiet as the whole anti-protests, anti-racism protests of 2020 have been, um, after the memorial of George Floyd, after everything, you know, Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, Regis Korchinski Paquette here in Canada, George Floyd, after, you know, after going forward post uh, protest, you know, we have to maintain that calm and cool headedness and keep the connectivity, keep the collective, you know, keep the collective focus on the issue and move forward peacefully and you know if if the families of these victims can have the the decency and the class to to um to to reach out and request peaceful protest peace you know nonviolence if these families can have the class and the restraint to do that then we as a society definitely can, you know. And moving forward, um, gone but not forgotten, you know. Etched in history. Pandemic, coronavirus, 2020. Um, will be linked to the anti-racist protests you know, the killings of Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, Regis Korchinski Paquette. You know, these people are linked to that history. And through that, hopefully change can occur. I thank you very much for listening. I wish you all the most happiness and health coming out of this horrible situation of pandemic 2020. You know, we're going to move forward to a better day. You know, there's room for everybody to collectively grow and prosper. You know, this is a beautiful world we live in. And we should never lose sight of that. Because what is the point of any of this if it's not for living? Hallelujah. It's your old chuckle buddy. Guess who? Jonathan James Ramtran. Reporting live for duty on this magnificent June 6th, 2020. Anti-racism protests in the time of pandemic. Hit me up, jr.thepodcast at gmail.com. Um, give me your questions, give me your queries, give me your qualms. jr.thepodcast at gmail.com. I'm available on multiple platforms, iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, my own website, jonathan-ramcharan.com. Hit me up, get at me, right? Until next time, folks, you live it, you love it, you realize it. I Peace.